The text today is a triumphal entry text in the book of Luke, and it comes to us in chapter 19, starting in verse 11. And so, if you would like to, if you have a Bible with you and you'd like to turn there, you can. In the Bibles, if you have one like this from our our church sanctuary, it's on page 844. We have, once again, we have guest readers, but I want to give you a quick assignment before they uh, read for us. As you listen to this story, and if it helps to close your eyes, by all means, do that. Uh, I want you to think about a word or two that you would use to describe this story. You may recall we did this same thing with the same text last year, but I thought it would be fun to do this again um, because when you come up with your word or two, you can share it on the live feed on our, uh, on our um, YouTube channel. And so if you're there, you can, you can do that. So as you listen to the text being read, what word or words would you use to describe this story? Okay, now to our guest readers. Luke 19, 28 through 40. Jesus' triumphant entry. After telling this story, Jesus went on toward Jerusalem, walking ahead of his disciples. As he came to the towns of Bethphage and Bethany on the Mount of Olives, he sent two disciples ahead. Go into that village over there, he told them. As you enter it, you'll see a young donkey tied there that no one else has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks, why are you untying that colt? Just say the Lord needs it. So they went and found the colt, just as Jesus had said. And sure enough, As they were untying it, the owners asked them, Why are you untying that colt? And the disciples simply replied, The Lord needs it. So they brought the colt to Jesus, and they threw their garments over it for him to ride on. As he rode along, the crowds spread out their garments on the road ahead of him. When he reached the place where the road started down the Mount of Olives, all of his followers began to shout and sing as they walked along, praising God for all the wonderful miracles they had seen. Blessings on the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in highest heaven. But some of the Pharisees among the crowd said, Teacher, rebuke your followers for saying things like that. He replied, If they kept quiet, the stones along the road would burst into cheers. Thank you to the Trumans uh, for reading Scripture this week. And may God bless the reading of God's Word, and would you pray with me. Heavenly Father, speak to our hearts now, wherever we are. Encourage us and strengthen us, and may we also be in praise of our Lord and Savior Jesus. We pray these things in his name. Amen. Okay, what word would you use to describe this story? And I invite you at any time during this sermon to share with those who are watching what word or words you chose. I'm going to share a few of the words that come to my mind as I think about this story and I think about the time we're in right now. The first word that I would use to describe this story is the word providential. Now, I used the same word last year, but it seems as appropriate now as it did then Providential meaning involving divine foresight or intervention, the divine guide of human destiny, or to quote 
and this will date me, to quote Twyla Paris, God is in control. All right, amen. Did the whole part of that story about the cult strike anyone else as, as incredible? It strikes me as incredible. Jesus not only knows where this cult will be, that it will be tied up, what people will say in response to the disciples trying to get this cult, but also the exact words that they should use to make sure that this all happens smoothly. The Lord needs it. Excellent. I find that just absolutely amazing. Now, if you know me, you know that I'm I'm not someone who thinks that God dictates every single thing that has ever happened in the course of of history. I think that God has given a humans freedom and a free will. Now, that said, I do not think that there has ever been a moment in all of history where, where God sees something happen and God says to the heavenly court, I did not see that coming. That has never happened. Not the God of Jesus. Now, some suggest that Jesus may have planned this out, that perhaps there was a, a disciple and they, they sort of prearranged this scenario, and maybe that's the case. Maybe that's exactly what happened. Maybe there was some uh, preparation that Jesus did beforehand. But the way Luke describes this scene, the way that the gospel writer tells us what happened, It seems to me that Luke's point is not that Jesus is good with details and preparedness, though Jesus probably is great with details and preparedness. It seems to me that uh, that Luke's point is this. Jesus knows exactly what he's doing. And at a time like now, I think, what a word for us. What a word for us, especially as we enter into Holy Week. The time that we find ourselves in has not taken God aback, has not made God say, why didn't see that coming? Yesterday, my family and I, we each, we answered this question. What do you miss? What do you miss? And here's some of the things that were on our list. School. Didn't think I'd hear that, but school. I miss going to school. I miss seeing my teacher. It's just not the same on the iPad. Jack said, I miss going to Hogan Brothers. We miss going to Target and looking at toys. Who doesn't, really? Uh, One of my kids said, Dad, I know this sounds weird, but I miss fighting with my friends at lunch. Uh, I miss recess. I miss going to church. I miss hugging grandma. I don't know if you've you've been proactive by sitting down and, and writing out a list of the things you miss, but it might be a good exercise to write out the things we miss, to let that serve as a prayer of lament, maybe, to God, to share what you miss with others. In fact, If you would like to share that right now in the live feed, you should. Psalm 139 is one of my favorites. 
And it's a reminder that, that God knows everything about us. God knows all of our thoughts, all of our movements. God would know everything that would be on that list. Everything that we miss. And I think now is such a good time for us to be reminded of that. So perhaps read Psalm 139 as you write out your list. This scene is providential. The second word I would use to describe this scene is praise-filled. I know technically that's two words, but I used a hyphen, so I think I'm, I'm okay. Close your eyes and imagine this scene. Close your eyes. Imagine it. Who is there? Who are the disciples that are, it says, shouting about the miracles? In my mind, the woman who had been bleeding for all those years and was healed because she she touched the corner of his garment, she's there. In my mind, uh, Jairus is there with his wife and his little girl to whom Jesus said, Talitha kum, get up, little one. They're there shouting. The boy who had legion of demons. The woman at the well, Nicodemus, maybe some who were uh, uh, there, the 5,000 people, and they're hungry. And the little boy just had some fish and some, some loaves of bread, and suddenly everyone's tummies are filled because there was so much food to eat. The former blind, the former lepers, just yelling and shouting and singing and throwing their coats on the ground for Jesus. What a scene. Now, why were they doing that? Why were they doing all that? They may have had a lot of different reasons. But what strikes me is that they had found their Savior. Not just, not just about the teachings, though the teachings are solid. Not just uh, a guru who can help them feel good or inspire them, though Jesus certainly does that. They had found the one who encountered and confronted everything that enslaved them and defeated those powers. And now, at this moment, on that colt, the king is arriving to his city. And so they burst out in praise. And they erupt, and they shout, and they throw down their coats. It's quite a scene. I love the moment when the the Pharisees say, Jesus, you need to tell them to stop. This is inappropriate. And his response, of course, you know, I, I could tell them to, but then the rocks would cry out if they didn't. And in my mind, if, even if Jesus said to the rocks, okay, it's time to stop, well, then the trees are going to burst out. And if he told the trees to be quiet, the clay under their feet would start to move and shake because something's got to praise God because the king had come to the city of the people of God. Amen. It's praise-filled. It's praise-filled. But I want to acknowledge that uh, it is very likely over the past couple of weeks that filled with electric praise may not be (laughs) what we're feeling right now. 
thanks preacher, if you're going to tell me to jump up and down right now, it's a little tough to do. And I, I know that. And I think what I'd say, what I'd remind us of, is that in every gospel that we have, this is not the end of the story. This is not the only aspect of Holy Week that is presented to us. Jesus will go to bed that night after this incredible entry into the city, and he'll wake up the next day and he'll walk into the temple filled with anger, turning over tables. Throughout the week as he teaches, he will be confronted by Pharisees and Sadducees and scribes. They're going to try and trip him up, make him look foolish. It's filled with tension and frustration. Later in the week, Jesus will be eating a meal and, and this feeling of betrayal as Judas takes his bread and dips it in the cup and then betrays his Lord. As he's in the garden during a prayer vigil, Jesus is bargaining with God. Please take this cup from me. Filled with anxiety. On the cross, Jesus expresses lament, questioning of God. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then, of course, the sting of crushing loss is also there in the story too. As the disciples scurry away and try and make sense of what has happened. The story of Holy Week includes a full range of human experiences, a full range of human emotion, and a full range of human responses. And so wherever you find yourself, wherever I find myself, wherever we are, know that we can tap into this story because the likelihood of, of what we're feeling showing up in these stories is pretty good, pretty high. And so... Let's enter the temple with Jesus if we're mad. If we're feeling sad, if we're feeling like there's all kinds of loss, let's journey with the disciples this week. There's plenty of room for lament, and we don't need to pretend that we're feeling something we're not. All right, third. Uh, kind of a, a funny word to use, I think, for this story, but... <clears throat> this scene is tricky. <laughs> what do I mean by that? It's tricky. Because everything about it suggests Jesus is going to walk into town, and by the end of the week, Pilate will be ousted, and he's going to be sitting in that palace, king of his people. How's that going to happen? Is it going to be a coup? Is he going to, is he going to form a revolution, uh, begin a rebellion? Jesus being enthroned as king, that's what this story looks like. Or on the other side, those who want Jesus uh, dead, they're thinking if, if we can execute him, this whole thing will just go away. Of course, both of those readings of this story are incorrect. Jesus enters Jerusalem walking into this incredible moment of self-sacrifice and obedience to God, of giving himself up fully 
to death, even death on a cross. And Jesus' kingship in this way helps us understand his cross, and his cross helps us understand his kingship. And this is one of the difficult things about following Jesus and about being a servant of God. Because so often things are happening that we think mean one thing when really it turns out in God's eyes they mean something quite different. Like the scene of Jesus on the donkey. It is a scene of victory. It is a scene of Jesus as king. This is plain, but what isn't as clear is what this victory means. Self-sacrifice, suffering, and death ultimate trust in God to the highest order. And sometimes what God is doing is not what we think God should be doing. Sometimes what we ask, what we ask of God and then the actions of God are not what we expect. God acts in ways we may not have wanted, but his ways are always good. I'm going to finish with a story. Now, as a preacher, I have a rule about storytelling if I'm in the story. And the rule is this. Never tell a story about yourself if you're the, the, the hero of the story. And I'm going to break that rule right now. One, because I was only five when this happened. So there's that. But also because I think this is an important story for us right now. When I was five... Uh, my little brother was three. Our dad took us to Chuck E. Cheese. Uh, we loved, there's no place like Chuck E. Cheese when you're five or three. The, back when they had the, the pit of all those colorful um, the plastic balls, you could jump in there and play in there and all the video games, all of it. We just loved it. And back then, there was a, a machine placed at the exit uh, when you would leave Chuck E. Cheese. And the machine had all kinds of uh, balloons in it, all colors of balloons. I know we have a small congregation here this morning, but does anyone remember this? I'm getting a nod from a couple of the guys. And my dad bought us a balloon. He put his quarter or dime or whatever it was in the machine, turned the, the knob, and then the machine takes a balloon and fills it with helium and then puts a string on it. And then you reach your hand in there and grab the balloon and is there anything quite like a floating balloon to a five-year-old and a three-year-old? And we're, we're walking out of Chuck E. Cheese with our balloons in hand. And I remember our dad warning us, gave us this warning, make sure you hold on tight to your balloon. Because if you don't hold on tight, it will uh, fly away and it will be gone. Okay, so we're clutching onto our balloons and we get outside in the parking lot of Chuck E. Cheese and my brother lost grip of his balloon somehow. I still like giving him a hard time about it. And his balloon floats into the air. And he lost his balloon. And he's very sad. And he's crying. And my dad tells me, back when my dad was still with us, that at that moment, I turned to my brother and I reached out my balloon. And I said to him, it's okay. 
and I let go of my balloon. I still have a memory of holding my little brother's hand and looking up into the blue sky and watching the balloons float away. For those of us who have ears to hear, let us hear. And would you pray with me? Jesus, you gave your life up for us. And now as we move into a time of communion, may we remember that. And Jesus, right now, there are so many things that we want to hold on to so tightly. But we can't. And I ask Father, that you would make sure that each of us has someone holding our hand as we look up and feel the loss, knowing that we're not alone. And I pray that in the name of Jesus. Amen.